Hey folks, Riley here, recording from my hotel room as we launch a new project that I am finally completing. Uh, really excited for that, but unfortunately I do not have my equipment handy, so if anything sounds a little bit amiss, that's the reason why. We also will not be joined by JW today as he is supporting his newest family member, Harper Joe. Congratulations to JW and Anne on their beautiful baby girl. Don't worry, we have a friend of the cast who will join us today and provide all sorts of insightful content. Tag Team is sponsored by Manscaped. Be sure to use code TAGTEAM at checkout with Manscaped at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Manscaped has been an excellent partner in the podcast, and I know for sure that JW would not be as successful as he is as a family man if it wasn't for his well-groomed features with his Manscaped products. So again, that's tag team at checkout at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. We enjoy and appreciate all of their products and their support for the podcast. That's all from me. So tune in to our special guest for the day. Thanks. Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Games premier podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined by a new face today, a friend of the cast and longtime friend of both JW and myself, competitive Pokemon player and leader of the Tricky Gym, Andrew Mahone. Andrew, how's it going today? Yo, what's up, guys? How you doing, Riley? Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's always a pleasure, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. Stressed. Uh, really stressed. I've been just traveling around a lot the last couple of weekends between Salt Lake City and then flew out for another project that I'm working on the following weekend. And I feel like I'm just kind of getting my bearings back now. I know yeah. you travel a lot for your job, but I'm not... You know, I'm not very used to it, so it's, it's <laughs> taken quite a toll on me. I mean, honestly, like, I, I definitely travel a fair amount for work, but it, it wears on you, man. Like, you get a couple weeks in a row or a couple weekends in a row, and you just you start to get almost homesick, and you just want to rest. Yeah, and I think there's the added level of kind of whiplash from, you know, two years of the pandemic. Yes. Not doing anything (laughs) and then then all of a sudden it's like oh events are back okay and i'm doing these projects all over the place all right and uh, i'm seeing lots of people again Um, (laughs) so it's uh it's definitely taken a little getting used to it's exciting i'm really like thrilled to be back doing stuff but yeah my goodness and then you know the whole live situation is also weighing on me like bricks uh i watched (laughs) And listen to uh, your guys' cast where you talked about it. You guys have kind of uh, we've we've covered everything that there is to cover about it. But it's also just like another added layer of stress to the you know to the whole deal. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The the kind of element that we haven't hit on as much is you know how directly it hits home with some of these content creators. You know, we talk about you as kind of leading that crusade, but certainly not without due cause, right? Like this is. Literally, the source of your content is primarily the online client that we have available to us. Yeah, I mean, it's I've likened it to, you know, my car that I drive to work. And it's like if my car doesn't work, then I can't drive to work like it feels like that. Yeah. And 
also you know it, it kind of it it feels tough because it's this thing that i'm inevitably going to end up promoting right and i right. have absolutely no control over it and it's like i'm a pretty easy going and easy to please guy i'm like the kind <laughs> of person who can go to a very a very mid movie and like be laughing my butt off like, <laughs> that's definitely true <laughs> Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't take much to, like, appease me, which is why I was so okay with migrating my account over to live. Because I was like, yeah, I mean, I put up with PTCGO for a decade. Like, you know, <laughs> what's what's the worst that could happen, right? Um, but, I mean, I was not prepared in the slightest for uh <laughs> For, for the situation that was going to be at hand. And I think none of us were. We were all trying to be optimistic and excited and, and like, you know, looking, you know, on the bright side with it. And it's it's just been kind of a, yeah, it's been a tough pill to swallow as someone who loves this game. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's something that we're all kind of learning to work through. Um, I said my bit in that video a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, we'll continue to kind of uh, at least let my opinion be heard on the issue. But I also want to try and be as positive as I can. So I'm like really trying to figure out, like, how do I be positive and continue to be a positive voice while also, uh, I think, letting my valid concerns about the future of the game and this client be heard? It's it's a tough, uh, you know, balancing act, but that's also something I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, man. I mean, it sounds like stressful times and, you know, not to put a damper on it, but we have more travel ahead of us for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. It's going to be a roller coaster next, you know, couple of months for me, but I'm like strapped in and ready to go. <laughs> you got to be at that point. Uh, so for the unaware listeners, both Andrew and myself will be flying out. Uh, actually, this coming week so not this weekend but the weekend following we'll be flying out to germany for the european international championship we both managed to snag our slots uh, in the first wave so didn't even need to get in that second batch and we're super excited to go out and play you know alongside the plethora of, of regionals to come as well so yeah it's gonna I'm, be awesome man i've never been to europe before i'm like geeked it, neither have i man I, literally the the only time I've been outside the country, not counting Canada, is when I went to the Latin America International Championship in Brazil. And that was so, so fun. Um, so I'm really excited to go to Europe for another international championship. We're going to have a yeah, lot of fun. I was so jealous that you went to that. I mean, even just hearing your stories and your telling of your experience from that event years ago was memorable for me, even just like listening to it secondhand from you. <laughs> so. yeah it was seriously so fun i you know now that i'm an adult with adult money and i've been at my job long enough to have reasonable amounts of pto i kind of want to do like more regular international championship stints you know maybe not all of them like not top 16 grinder territory but i would love to do like one a year or something like that just to just to have those experiences you know i agree man i mean that's to me this is what it's all about, is experiencing new things, traveling, getting to link up with friends and, and kind of make those memorable connections. I mean, in what other context do you have opportunities to do something like that? So 
I think that I think it's a wonderful thing to travel and to get to experience different parts of the world through the lens of the Pokemon trading card game and something I'm definitely looking forward to doing more of in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it makes me always think because when I was a kid, especially like in the middle and high school years, I was so ashamed of the fact that I that I liked Pokemon. You know, it was just not cool at that period of time. Um, but now I'm, I'm so proud to tell people like, yeah, I'm going to Europe to play an international championship. I'm going to London to play in the world championship, blah, 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 blah. And people are so like wowed and they're so impressed and they're almost like in a way I can sense like jealousy themselves because I have this cool structured thing that I can do that brings me to all sorts of interesting places. Definitely. I had similar experiences, you know, earlier on in my teenage years, just not quite sure of, you know, my identity and just trying to figure out how to express myself. And as I got more comfortable with all of that, you know, and, uh, and more confident in myself. And, you know, now as an adult, it's uh, just such a cool thing to be a part of, especially with the whole kind of reemergence of Pokemon throughout the last decade in oh, yeah. popular culture. Right. Uh, it's been really cool to be like, yeah, I've, I've been a part of that, you know, yeah, the whole the whole time <laughs> yeah you know i mean you guys are you know busting out your binders from when you were 10 and uh you know trying to talk about pokemon again let me tell you about pokemon right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i know how to play those cards actually yeah yeah it's it's been cool to see uh pokemon's staying power in popular culture and to just kind of ride that wave throughout the last 10 years it's been really neat absolutely so that all said uh, you know, we're going to the European International Championship, and we've talked a lot on the cast before uh, about you and your journey and content creation and how you kind of became the person and the creator that you are today. Um, but I think an, an underspoken element of that story is you are an accomplished player as well, in of, in of that. Um, you're one of those kinds of players, you know, in my opinion, you know, and hopefully I don't inflate your ego too much by saying this because I'm the one not to deal with that consequence but um, you're the kind of player like one of those greats in my opinion one of the people that you can go to a tournament and expect to see in contention for top 8 of a tournament and that's a big deal in my opinion like sometimes I don't feel like I'm quite there yet and I want to be um, and I try really hard to continue to elevate my game um, so I'm curious to talk more about kind of like your experiences as a player and how you've like learned and grown in, in that space as well. You know, as we approach the European International Championship, as we approach Indy and New Jersey and all these regionals and special events that are coming up in the in the coming months, I think one thing that's on a lot of people's minds is, you know, how do I deal with these tournaments? Like, how do I prepare? There's been a the constant barrage of online tournaments, right? And, you know, you almost can enter them and play in them without thought. Um, but a lot of Pokemon is, you know, the metagaming and the deck building and, and the practicing and, and getting in tournaments and playing well in those. So I'm curious, just at a base level, like what are some of the skills that you've found in your journey to be the most important ones to hone and focus on as you get ready for these tournaments? Yeah, tournament prep. I mean, I love, I love this part of playing Pokemon cards. The whole, like, going to an event, the performative aspect of it, that to me is 
kind of the crux of what it's all about. Like, I mean, obviously, everything that goes into a tournament. I mean, it's just so fascinating. Uh, the preparation, the testing, the actual having to be in your seat and playing, you know, with a level head during your match within a time limit, all of that, uh, you know, makes competitive Pokemon just really fun and, and really interesting to me. And it's something I've been doing now for like 10 years, but in a lot of ways, it is very similar to other forms of competition, right? I mean, I was yeah. a competitive runner for the first half of my life, and going to a tournament feels like going to a track meet or anything else, right? Um, and so a lot of the stuff that you would do to prepare, you know, as an athlete, you would also do um, to prepare as a Pokemon card player, just practice, right? And that's something that you learn from, you know, being an athlete, definitely, because you practice uh, how you play. And if you don't practice, you're you're going to be more likely to make mistakes or, right, or yeah. have the event not go as planned. So practice is definitely key. And I think that you'll find that the players that do the most amount of practice and not just any practice, like good, uh, good practice, like good, um, you know, I, practice with like a concerted effort towards certain goals, right? What are you trying to figure out while you're practicing? Uh, I think that that's something that our group's been doing really well in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but not something that we had done at all for two years during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because we just weren't motivated, right? I mean, it was just like, I don't think that anyone in our group got motivated by online events or anything like that. So um, we just didn't really get in the lab and we didn't really uh, do a lot of testing or practicing for those two years. So we're kind of, we're getting back into it. I mean, it really feels like now it's like, it feels like I haven't been to practice in a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> but I'm like ready to, but I'm like geared up and ready to go. I think the first event back Salt Lake city was like a, definitely a wake up call that playing and practicing are two different things, right? Because right. I hop on stream and I play every day. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm like practicing, getting in good practice for an event, right? Yeah. I'm not necessarily dialed into the nitty gritty, um, you know, of the meta game or like what 58th, 59th card could be the difference maker in matchup, you know, X, Y, or Z. That is like good tournament practice. When you're getting together with somebody whose skill level you trust and you both are, you know, picking apart each other's plays and asking questions and talking about different lines and trying to really decipher how a matchup plays out. That's, that's like good tournament practice, right? Um, but just like grinding games on the ladder isn't necessarily, uh, you know, good tournament practice. So that was a kind of wake up call for me um, that if I want to, if I want to pick up where I left off in 2020, I'm going to have to start practicing again and taking uh, the meta seriously. So that's something that I feel like we've been doing really well in the last couple of weeks, just having like good intentional testing sessions regularly. I mean, yeah. I mean like multiple times a week, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like 
if not like every night, every other night, like, cause that's how you get good at something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely agree with that sentiment. I mean, my best regional and world's performances were from, were on the backs of rather extensive amounts of practice. You know, I always, I always call back to the Dallas regional championship, my dub, um, where I played hundreds and hundreds of games of the Zorark deck <laughs> prior to Dallas, uh, including Mirror. <laughs> you did. And in my time knowing you, that was like easily the most you had ever, I had ever seen you practice with a deck or, or, you know, really tweak a deck. So it was really reaffirming to see you do well with it afterwards. So I, t I totally agree with that mentality that like getting in the reps and getting in really solid nitpicky performances is, is what leads to your actual tournament showings, having that kind of elevated level of success. Um, I'm curious if there was ever, in your opinion, like an inflection point, was there ever a point in your career as a player where you felt like you had like that shift and you had, and you swapped over from like really being effective and, and prepping well uh, to like from maybe not, not doing that as well or not seeing the success that you would hope for? Was there ever, was there an event or a moment in your career as a player that you finally felt that click? It's actually like, this is really interesting, like kind of my arc as, as a competitive player and, and how I've developed as a player because it, uh, it's, not no, it's not so much as like I realized that I had to practice to get good at something because that's actually... That's actually the one good thing I always did do um, because coming from a sports background, I knew that it would require practice to get good. And that is yeah. just from from the beginning, like my obsession with the game and, and my uh, the amount of effort and practice um, I put in had always been there. So for me specifically, it was more about learning how to play a tabletop game at a competitive level um, and learning how to metagame events. So, you know, when I started, I was definitely quite bad um, <laughs> for, you know, for a couple of years. I just dove in and started consuming as much Pokemon trading card game content as possible and, you know, was starting in 2011. So, it was uh, 2011, 2012, so it was like City Championships, Noble Victories had just come out, and, you know, I'm playing bad electric decks, um, <laughs> things like that, because I'm just learning how to play. But something that I did early on was that I would, and I see a lot of players do this, and a lot of players do this and see success, is that you gravitate towards one deck, right? And you just learn how to play that deck really, really, really well. And you're not... At a gaming events, you're not like, oh, what am I going to play for this? Because it's that one deck. You know what you're playing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just whether or not you're going to tech a certain card or two. Right? <laughs> right. Uh, but you already know, like, you're that kind of player. You're playing that specific deck. You know, for my first year or two playing the Pokemon trading card game, it was electric decks. I was in love with electric decks. And then Blastoise came out, and I became... You know, infatuated with rain dance decks, you know, Deluge, Blastoise. Uh, I felt like that was the only way I could play the game was if I was deluging energy into play. Arguably, and... you were infatuated with Deluge, Blastoise until very recently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these infatuations take longer to kick than others. <laughs> uh, so, 
Yeah, so uh, Deluge Blastoise, which then turned into like Blastoise, you know, was in a tough spot when Genesec, Verizian Genesec came out. So then I was like, oh no, what'll I do? Uh, I'll play a different color rain dance. I started playing Embor, right? It's like <laughs> effectively, effectively the same deck, but red. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I very much kind of like got myself into a lane as a player and would stay in that lane. And that actually, that's how I got my first success in the Pokemon TCG. I would grind out games with electric like ad nauseum. And there was never a question as to whether or not I was going to play any other deck. It was always electric when I first started. And that got me my first city championship win, which was like, you know, an insane feeling when you're new. Right. And then finally I decided I could move on to Blastoise. I really fell in love with Blastoise. That got me my first regional top eight. And so I was like, Oh, this is incredible. Okay. I can keep this. I can keep this going to keep this going. Right. Then I switched to Raybor, like the, very much the same deck, and was able to get top four at a regional championship. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm never quitting the Raybor <laughs> strategy. This is just, this is what I'm all about. I love this, right? And then, you know, Raybor rotates out. I don't really know where I'm going from here. Um, but uh, there's a new kind of dynamotor in the in the game in the form of, uh, the form of Metal Lynx bronze, uh, Bronzong, right? So... I start kind of gravitating towards something I'm comfortable with. The Bronzong, Metal Links. It, it charges energy from the discard pile. I'm like, all right, this is in my wheelhouse, right? My wheelhouse just being only things that accelerate energy into play. <laughs> yeah. um, and this is my very narrow lane. And keep in mind, like, I've been playing for four years, three years at this point. So, like, three years of, like, four, three to four years of, like, only playing energy acceleration decks. I tried playing ability lock decks like Garbodor unsuccessfully you know yeah uh grindier more methodical strategies i just was completely incapable of navigating and had not invested any time into understanding how to do so right uh which is something that i think like a lot of a lot of new players will kind of identify with that's definitely something that happens you just get the strategies you're comfortable with and you kind of stay in those lanes and you'll see success with those strategies so like you know so why why change? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so electric or electric was gone, Blastoise was gone, Raybor was gone. So I had to uh, in the 2014-2015 season, I had to come up with something new. So I started trying to play this metal deck, and I played it for you know most of the city championship season through the winter, and it was going extremely poorly. I mean, it just wasn't a very good deck. But I just like desperately did not want to have to learn anything new. So this is like, this was the point where I felt like everything clicked for me as a player. And I needed to like, and I needed to figure out how to actually play the game, right? So like three to four years in, I had to actually just give up the strategies that I was comfortable with and learn something new and diversify my abilities as a player, which was scary for me. because. I was not confident in other ways to play the game, right? Yeah. So this is when, you know, the whole Landorus Crobat deck came into existence. It was just a deck that I had created myself and started playing, saw some success with it. And then with this deck, I ended up taking it to the regional championship and ended up winning. So uh, in, uh, in St. Louis in 2015. So 
that was like my aha moment that like, okay, I don't actually have to be afraid of trying new strategies. Like I'm a, a skilled enough player to be able to learn something new and navigate it. And then, um, you know, I mentioned before the Garbodor strategies had been something that I was not confident navigating in years past. But then in 2016, um, I was fed up with trying to figure out how to beat Veltal Garbodor uh, at the regional during regional championships, and uh, I just decided to end up playing it and took it to a second place finish in at the Fort Wayne Regional Championships in 2016. So. Uh, you know, another, you know, success with a deck that I wasn't necessarily the most confident with leading up to the event. That was like a night before decision, <laughs> but, uh, it ended up buffing out. So I think like in those years, 2015, 2016, I learned how to kind of broaden my horizons as a competitive player and consider strategies that, uh, maybe I wasn't the most comfortable with. And rely on like my testing and my practice and, and my abilities as a player to be able to navigate um, decks confidently when it came to game time. So that has kind of been like the narrative of my growth, kind of stepping out of my comfort zone and learning how to pilot new strategies. It's made me a more effective tournament player because, I mean, up to the night before a tournament, I can confidently now pick up different strategies and, and I feel like I can be successful with them. Now, I'm curious for maybe your thoughts, your perspectives, because I think this is something a, a lot of people go through is they pigeonhole themselves on the deck that they feel the most comfortable with or that they enjoy the strategy of the most. I'm guilty of this, too. I, I gravitated towards Zorark decks for quite a long time, even when they weren't always the best choice for a tournament. Um, do you think that you know, taking that shift away from the energy acceleration decks into more broad strategies, was that like a natural step because you've already grown as a player by getting so many reps in with those decks that you were familiar with? Or is that something that maybe you needed to go through some growing pains and that maybe you should have taken that step sooner instead of uh, having that tough wake-up call with Bronzong? It definitely felt like it... It was like a, it needs to get worse before it gets better situation is kind of what it felt like. And the Bronzong, you know, situation during cities was the, it got worse first. You know, <laughs> I'm coming off a year where I got ninth place at Worlds, won my first regional championship. You know, um, it was like the best year I'd ever had. And then in cities, it's just consistently me just getting destroyed every every city championship with a it was a strategy that just like wasn't clicking with me oh <laughs> it just wasn't good it wasn't good i mean the bronze deck just like it just objectively was not good <laughs> yeah i mean i can't even think of a, a metal partner around that time it was like dialga ex and ages Aegis oh Lab yeah yeah dialga it was EX. like it was like that deck <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like i said it was it was not very good um but like that was that was me realizing that, like, you know, things had to kind of change. So there were growing pains. It kind of reminds me, this analogy I think of in my mind when I'm trying to express the situation. It's like when you, uh, you know, how Tiger Woods had to relearn his golf swing or something yeah. like that, right? It's just like, you know, in order for you to get better as a golfer you might, or a baseball player, you might have to relearn um, some technical aspects of your swing. Right. Uh, but then 
once you do get uh, that swing down, you're going to be a more effective um, either golfer, baseball player, whatever in the long run. It feels like that. It was like I needed to relearn my swing. And once I did, I feel like I became a uh, a better competitor in the long run. And I think there's a lot to be said. Like, even if you end up taking the same decks that you were comfortable with, getting like really solid experiences with those other decks in the format just broadens your perspective as far as, you know, what's possible, what these decks are capable of, you know, what they hate to play against, <laughs> for example. Uh, it's something I often reference when I talk about tournaments. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't play this deck, but I sure played a lot of it leading up to the tournament, and I know I hate it when my opponent does this. So I did that every time I played against it. Exactly. And, you know, and I was definitely guilty. It's like I've regressed into this line of thinking. Um, you know, as a player, I'm not perfect, right? Uh, yeah. I would be lying if I didn't, you know... Uh, admit that I was definitely turned off by Zork GX decks and just like didn't give them the time. I didn't give myself the time and the effort to really get good at navigating the Zork GX decks. I fell into a comfort zone with Buzzwool during those years and kind of just let that go. Right? I mean, I, I just kind of was like, okay, I'll just I'll just kind of ride on the coattails of Buzzwool for this time, right? Instead of really. You know, and I wonder what maybe I could have done if I had also invested myself into learning Zork. But, uh, but you know, the season moves fast. Events keep coming. So <laughs> uh, I was going through some very busy years, those years. So it's easy for me to look back and understand how that occurred. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no kidding. Absolutely. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Fun to think back on, but... Uh... You know, Buzzwell did treat you treat, did treat you pretty well, I think, in the grand scheme of things. It was a good deck. Yeah. It was a good deck. Yeah, good deck. you're an early like, adopter too. Looking at it now, it's like now I can look at the Zork years again and be like, I didn't give Zork the time. Um, and then you like you get into this thing, you get into this headspace as a player where you feel like I can't pick up that deck now because I haven't been playing it as long as the other players who have already been playing it longer than me. And I think that that's like a lie that we tell ourselves and, or at least that I tell myself and I'm making a concerted effort not to get into that headspace with the current format. I don't love UV max, but I'm getting my reps in with Mu VMAX right now. Yeah. And I want to learn to play Mu VMAX as good as possible. I don't love the Malamar deck, but I respect it. And I want to get as many reps in with the Malamar deck as I can so that I know exactly what I'm up against. Kind of like what you were saying. No, I, I feel that. I feel that 100%. And, you know, it's always good to have those things in the back pocket, too. You know, you... You don't want to be the night before a tournament and realize, oh, Mew VMAX is like definitely the play and just not have any idea what that looks like on the table. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for I like have... an underappreciatedly challenging deck to play like Mew. Have you ever gone to an event, the deck, and you get into like round one or two and you just realize how underprepared you are to pilot that deck? <laughs> um not often with like super big events, but I definitely felt that pretty bad with a, a 
especially in like 2018, 2019, I phoned it in pretty hard for like all of my league cups. And I would often be like, yeah, this deck either just like isn't very good or, or was it a really bad call or I don't even know what I'm doing with this. I just saw it do well at a regional and I like cucked it up the night before and I feel like an idiot now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Like many times I've had that experience. I've been there. It does. It's not pretty. It's not great. It'll happen a lot of times when there's like a group deck, you know, yeah. and your whole group decides that this is the play and maybe like, maybe, you know, you were the one who maybe had the least amount of reps with that deck, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. but the group think is really pushing towards that deck. So yeah, that's happened to me. I have like one situation where I played turbo dark at a, at a expanded regional championship and it just, you know, I was just not dialed into that deck at all. <laughs> <laughs> was that, um, gosh, I, was that Fort Wayne, the last Fort Wayne? It, it was Fort Wayne, like, yeah, forever ago, though. I mean, it was a while ago. I want to say, like, 2017 or 2016 or something. Yeah, yeah, I totally know the tournament you're talking about. Well, you know, you live and let learn. I think, uh, I think the the takeaway has to be just getting tons of reps in, getting your experience under your belt, um, and not like uh, pigeonholing yourself. I suppose you could say as a player, um, you know, there are times where the best choice is the one you're most comfortable with, but you also have to admit sometimes that's not the best choice, right? And and know what the best choice is to succeed as a player. Definitely, and you know what, you can if you're new and you're still learning a deck. I mean, take some solace in the fact that you can see success by just, you know, kind of staying in your lane with your deck. You can see some success that way. And, I mean, I saw that at the last, at Salt Lake City Regional Championships. One of the undefeated players from, uh, I guess they were like 6-0 or 7-0 when I talked to them. I forget what it, I forget what the record was. But it was their first regional, and they were playing Arceus Duraludon, and they were so amped about it because... This is just the deck they've been like loving and playing this since Duraldon was released. You know, <laughs> they like Duraldon was released in Evolving Skies, and they were like, "I love this card. I'm playing this card." Yeah, you know? <laughs> and there was never any question as to whether or not they were playing Duraldon for Salt Lake City. It was always going to be Duraldon, like do or die. And uh, you know, they ended up making day two at their first regional championship. So, you know, I think that. There's definitely something to be said for, you know, for staying in your comfort zone. That's also a strategy when going to a tournament. And sometimes that just is the, you know, the best thing to do. But there's also something to be said for, you know, kind of expanding your palette, expanding your your range as a player so that you can be a more, um, a tougher editor when it comes to events. People can't just say like, oh, they're going to play that deck. Um, because you could, you have any deck at your disposal. Yeah. I think it's kind of like the short versus long-term success mentality, almost like when your deck is at its peak, when your comfort deck is at its peak, like, yeah, you might see a high amount of even of a short-term success, but what will that translate to in a year, two years, three years as like the strategies change and, and your deck rotates and, and all these things, like, you know, develop all the sentence. All the Senti Scorch Welder players, you know, where you at? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but I was actually thinking about that the other day. You know, poor Senti Scorch. <laughs> yeah, and just like people who got really into a comfort zone with Welder, right? Like, that's kind of like a recent, that's a recent example of this phenomenon, right? If yeah. you 
during that time had kind of only pigeoned your like pigeonholed yourself into welder decks, right? Then you know where did you have to pivot to when welder rotated? There's not really a comparable strategy, so you were definitely going to have to kind of you know ex- forcibly like expand your horizons. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, welder was a was in a league of its own. You know, in terms of it's a unique strategy that was pervasive amongst so many different decks. I think that. This is actually the great transition into our card of the day. Let's get it. So today's card of the day, I asked Riley if I could do a card that was just released in Japan. Riley told me there ain't no rulies when you're doing card of the day. So <laughs> uh, we are going to be talking about Gardenia's Vitality, new supporter card. That is going to be released in our upcoming Astral Radiance set. Gardenia's Vitality is a supporter card that allows you to draw two cards, and then you may attach up to two grass energy from your hand to one of your benched Pokemon. So this supporter card is already kind of getting comparisons to Welder, which was another supporter card that allowed you to draw cards and accelerate energy from your hand to your Pokemon. Obviously, there are some differences, but there are some similarities. Riley, what are your thoughts, initial thoughts on Gardenia's Vitality? I, I'm i intrigued by it, to say the least. I think uh, it has some notable benefits over Welder, namely that you're not reliant on the energy being in your hand to start with. Uh, you know, how many times have you seen a welder player or been a welder player who has had a welder with no energy outs in your hand and just dead drawn and lost? You know, that happens. Um, it has notable downsides, though. Namely, it needs to have a benched Pokemon. Uh, it needs to uh, draw two cards, or rather it does draw two cards instead of drawing the three cards. And it is uh, it's grass type, which is an unfortunate uh, type to be as compared to fire type during welder's reign of terror so dang you're a hater i'm a grass type hater for sure <laughs> yeah, you're a hater you were an original decidueye gx lover what happens you don't believe well, in grass i think right uh, now? you know decidueye was maybe one of the last great titans of the grass type if we're being real <laughs> <laughs> like you know, you, you have your Leafeon a, now, and... Uh, you weren't much of a Bulu fan? <laughs> I can't say I was. I played Bulu at one League Cup ever, and it was one of the worst-feeling tournaments of my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't say that I ever played uh, Vika Volt at Bulu. No, I definitely was not a believer in that deck either. <laughs> but, you know, okay, the new Dark Rye V-Star that's going to be coming out is week two grass that's true and also fire type pokemon are pretty much non-existent right now i mean yeah fire has just not really made an impact even with the magma basin stadium they're just which is a, a ridiculously spot. powerful card it's one of the best stadiums ever printed <laughs> honestly like i think it's the most powerful effect we've ever seen on a stadium it's it's wild. I mean, it's in a league of its own because uh, there are no other stadiums that accelerate energy. So <laughs> right. it's, it's incredibly good. 
But I think that's just a testament to how uh, lackluster the fire attackers are right now. They're very typical fire attackers. I mean, Charizard just takes a ton of energy and does a lot of damage, right? Um, and then, I don't know, Victini VMAX is, like, very fine. <laughs> but yeah. in, a format, in a format where every other deck is playing Inteleon, you know, fire-type Pokemon are just in a tough spot. So, that being said, it'd be Rass's time to shine. Who who are you pairing uh, Gardenia with? Well, I think that that's the that's the big question. You could pair Gardenia with anything. I think that Shame and V Star is a card. That card just like has to be good, right? It, it seems it okay. Just, yeah, it seems like a good card. That card just has to be at least okay, <laughs> and. I mean, honestly, Gardenia is like, is it better than Melanie in Arceus decks? Or Potentially, is, yeah. Melanie, is Melanie just better? Because you could pivot Arceus decks to start incorporating Grass Energy and Gardenia instead of uh, Melanie. The bench thing's a little tough because sometimes you just open Arceus and then you need to be able to attack with it turn two. Right. So... I, I get that, but Melanie, uh, or not Melanie, um, Gardenia's Vitality does have some cool synergy, though, because after you use Sharon's Care to pick up an Arceus, you'll have these Grass Energy in your hand, and then you can just lay them back down. So. That's true, yeah. I do have unfortunate news for you regarding Gardenia's Vitality, though. What? It unfortunately does not synergize super well with Beedrill. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Well, I mean, you got a single strike mustard, right, to get the Beedrill out, and Beedrill takes one energy, so supportering to get it seems like a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I thought you were going to tell me that I translated Gardenia's Vitality wrong and that it, like, you know, could only go to Grass Pokemon, in which case I was going to say, all right, pack it up. Let's stop talking about this card. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> but it just yeah, it won't fit super well with your favorite grass pokemon <laughs> yeah that's fine beedrill is hardly a grass pokemon honestly beedrill is just like its own entity i don't even you know you don't have to play beedrill in a grass deck you can play beedrill <laughs> in whatever deck you want that's um, true in fact i think that the best grass deck what probably leafy on vmax i mean okay i'll give it to you leafy on vmax is not in the strongest spot right now and it is the best grass deck but yeah leafy on vmax you know can't really easily accommodate b drill despite the fact that they're both grass pokemon so <laughs> it's true i mean there's a there is the uh the new hisuian lilligant right is getting a v-star yes yes got a v-star power that allows you to search out some absurd amount of grass pokemon and grass energy from your deck and put them into your hand obviously pairs with gardenia i'm just not sure that the lilligant really does enough you know or anything special like yeah i think that as far as v-star cards go uh, you're gonna have to ask yourself why am i not just playing arceus right that's like the big <laughs> one right uh why am i not just using arceus with whatever strategy right so yeah my initial thoughts are that arceus is just going to be the best partner with gardenia because arceus is just the best v-star 
That's a, it's not a bad spot to be in for Arceus. Definitely not. But I think that Guardian's Vitality is just going to be one of those cards that is going to be solid. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe Pokemon kind of learned its lesson from the extremely overpowered welder uh, that existed in Standard. I mean, I don't know. It was, it was insane, right? I mean, every deck was playing welder. You put welder in anything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, welder giant hearth, you got a deck on your hands. That's so um, true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, and then they printed Melanie. Melanie is, like, strictly worse than welder, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but still sees play. And now Gardenia's Vitality is, like, strictly a little, you know, harder to play than welder. But I think it'll still see play. Um, this has been an interesting design, I think, uh, d design choices that we've seen from the game designers over the course of the last couple of years. As the Pokemon have gotten stronger and stronger, the trainers have continued to get a little bit less powerful. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, the Pokemon are getting bigger, but the trainers are getting smaller. <laughs> yep. So I think the Gardenia's Vitality will be useful. It's certainly going to see uh, see play, and is just going to be one of those supporters that you have to you know kind of consider when new cards come out. You know, are they compatible with Gardenia's Vitality? Is this a energy accelerating option we could use for this particular deck? And you know, when you talk about considering very specific supporters and niche strategies. There's one thing I think of in particular, especially coming from you, and that is the Gym Leader Challenge. Ooh, um, I like so that I think, transition. I think it's a good segue into our my last topic for today, because I wanted to talk about the Gym Leader Challenge. We've mentioned it on the cast before. Uh, for the unfamiliar, the Gym Leader Challenge is a, is a fake format, so to speak. It's a custom format created by Andrew Mahone. Uh, and the idea, the concept, is that you are a gym leader, and that you are, as a gym leader, using a single type of Pokemon, you know, so you're playing your electric types or you're playing your metal types. Uh, no differentiation from that one type. And you get to play one of any individual card that isn't a basic energy. So you can play one research, one boss's orders, one VS seeker. It's also expanded. No rule box Pokemon allowed. Six prize game every time, as long as you get six Pokemon on the board. And uh, it's a ton of fun. Andrew, I don't think GLC needs an in-depth introduction, but one thing I'm curious about is kind of the origin story, you know? Like, what inspired you? I, You know, I think back to even years and years ago, and we thought, like, fake formats were almost kind of silly. Like, custom formats were just not worth the time. Uh, what shifted your perspective? Yeah, that's a... Uh, that is interesting to think about. I... I mean, really, I, I've been working on my own kind of custom formats for years when I kind of really think about it because I've been creating cubes. And you know yeah. that. You've been like, a, oh, yeah. You've been an, you know, an important part of my cube creations because, <laughs> you know, you are one of the testers. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, and I always solicit, you know, your guys' opinions and things like that. And, We've had lengthy conversations about balancing and and art design and all that different kind of stuff. So, you know, building a cube is building basically a limited format that you draft decks, you know, from this curated collection of cards, and you play uh, you play games out of the decks that you draft, right? So, 
I've been working on these kinds of limited formats for years now, and I've created a couple of cubes. I've created a two-player drafting experience, you know. So game design is something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially as I get into content creation and, you know, I, I start thinking about the Pokemon trading card game on a deeper level. I am always thinking about game design, how the cards interact with one another, and, you know, what might be the most fun ways to play. Because a lot of times when I go to play, you know, Pokemon cards with my friends, I'm not playing standard format, right? Yeah. Uh, because standard format, that's the sweaty, that's the sweaty you know, grinding <laughs> for regionals format. Sometimes we're just trying to kick back and have a little fun, right? Yeah. We're not always trying to play a best of, uh, you know, best of 11 UV Max mirror. <laughs> but sometimes you are. Sometimes you are. Which, you know, earlier we were talking about practice. <laughs> that's important, right? Uh, to get those, you know, best of 11s in. But, but sometimes you just want to kick back, maybe, you know, have a couple of drinks with some buddies and play some Pokemon cards in like a different kind of, uh, a different kind of setting. And that's where I really love limited formats because when you're playing a limited format, you're not so much, or, you know, a, a format that changes or just a different format. You're taking your skills as a Pokemon player, all the different things you know about sequencing, all the different things you know about deck building, um, and your knowledge of the cards that exist in the Pokemon trading card game, and you're putting them in a new context, which is very fun. It is very fun to experience Pokemon cards and the strategy of the Pokemon trading card game in a different and challenging context so i felt like over the course of the last couple of years uh expanded format has really kind of just been neglected and died off yeah. it's it was a thing that it was cool for a little while i felt like <laughs> expanded kind of hit its stride during like 2016 2017 i would agree yeah and those were like the coolest years for expanded you know 2018 things started to get a little degenerate 2019 things got a really degenerate 2020 things were getting way too degenerate you know right before the pandemic hit uh the last you know pre-pandemic regional championship was collinsville and you remember that top eight like my deck was my deck was the only deck that was like attacking (laughs) (laughs) attacking without the explicit purpose for locking your opponent out of the game Yes, yes, attack. Right, right, right. Yes, okay. So the only uh, non-lock attacking deck. Um, so, yeah, things had gotten pretty degenerate by that point. And I think now with Pokemon saying that there will be you know, no expanded events for the remainder of the 2022 season and with uh, the just the, the card design um, lately, I, I think expanded is just a, uh, it, it's a done, it's a completed format. I think it, it went through its thing. But it was a format that was never intended by the game designers to exist, I don't think. So uh, the fact that, like we said, you know, the trainers over the course of the last, you know, 10 years or so have been getting uh, basically less powerful. Um, But the Pokemon have been getting more powerful. So expanded basically now is just the most 
broken new Pokemon with the most broken old trainers. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's just extremely silly, right? So, yeah. so, I mean, there are less ways, you know, well, the expanded basically dying off. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic uh, in July of 2021, and I am growing increasingly impatient with the Arceus, Dialga, and Palkia GX uh, ridden format that we are existing in, right? It just was, uh, it was becoming less and less fun for me, and without having, like, any serious events to prepare for, I just really couldn't get myself motivated to play. But being a content creator and someone who is, you know, interested in game design, I thought to myself on a whim, you know, what would it be like if we played this format that was singleton, where you could only play one of each Pokemon or card in your deck, except for basic energy. You cut out all the overpowered, you know, gimmicky uh, GX Pokemon, EX Pokemon, you know, D-Maxes, all that stuff. All the different kind of mechanics that the Pokemon company tries to push on you every couple sets, right? We're like, we got this new most powerful thing, and it's insane, <laughs> right? So you take out, like, all the marketing Pokemon, basically, yeah. right? You remove all of those silly marketing Pokemon from the game completely. <laughs> so no, no rule box Pokemon. And then uh, you have to limit it a little bit more, right? So what if you had to only play one type of Pokemon in your deck? And I was inspired by... By when I was casting the uh, the Players Cup, right? When I was casting the Players Cup, they had me. Oh yeah, they had. Uh, well, they had me and Jeremy commentate over two of the other casters who had to play monotype decks. Yeah, right? I, I totally remember that now. Yeah, so like this was happening like all at the same time. So, you know, I. Me and Jeremy commentated over, I think it was like Chip and Ethan playing or, or something, playing uh, basically a psychic type deck mirror, right? Where it's like they had the expanded card pool and they had to make decks only with one type of Pokemon in it. And they both chose psychic and they both played Dragapult Garbodor. And it was like, okay, that that was just silly, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like that, that wasn't even that wasn't even a challenge. It was just like you know, and the decks just ended up being not very interesting, right? So I was like, okay, you know, maybe there's something to be said here, though. What what does actually happen when you maybe make a couple more limitations? Does the format get more interesting, or is it just a silly, broken format? So I basically, you know, the format started with a question. What happens when you do this? Obviously, it's also inspired by Magic the Gathering's Commander format, um, you know, having played some magic the gathering myself i you know i think that magic is is fun and i think that the limitations on magic make it more fun than uh than like standard or anything like that i really like drafting you know i really like a limited format in magic i think that uh draft sealed all that stuff that to me is the most fun way to play magic i think a lot of players would agree with that so i wanted to bring some of that limited i wanted to basically bring the limited gameplay experience from other games like magic into pokemon but drafting pokemon is not realistic or feasible you can't right. really 
just because of the way the game is designed, right? Inherently, yeah. Inherently, it's just not a draftable game unless you like very carefully curate a cube. And cubes are generally expensive and also difficult to play because you have to get eight people in a room together who want to do it. And do it for a while. And like sit down for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, so you have all these wants, right? And it's like, how do we obtain that? So I was going to start just like kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And sure enough, like the first idea, people ask me, how long did we test gym leader challenge format before like releasing it? Uh, and the answer is one stream. Uh, I basically had one stream where I was like, yo, I've got this idea for a format where basically it's monotype, you know, singleton, no rule box. You could play any card from black and white. And let's just play some games on stream and have some fun and see what happens. And it was like immediately evident that the format was deep. There was a lot of really complex decisions to be made. That it was fun. The games were taking like on average of like 30 minutes. And when you're playing online and a game is taking a whole 30 minutes, like there's some stuff happening there. Like, there's a lot of back and forth. You know, so many games were coming back, coming down to like the final prize card. So much back and forth action. So much drama. And it was just like, oh my God. Like it was immediately evident after just the first stream of playing Gym Leader Challenge that we had something like really, really cool on our hands. And within that first week, I released a video on it. I launched a website because I was like, this is really cool. I want people, I want other people to know that this is like a very fun way and a very cheap way to enjoy the Pokemon trading card game. I, I really think that we've done it. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, now there's people playing Gym Leader Challenge all over the world, you know, tournaments happening in Japan and leagues happening you know, in Europe for Gym Leader Challenge, there's leagues happening all over the country where they only play explicitly Gym Leader Challenge. And, um, you know, I mean, the format sells itself. And and for me, I'm just happy to see people having fun playing cards. And I'm happy that there's an accessible format that exists where players don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on Arceus or Muse. And they can more or less just build decks with the cards that they may have and have a really good, wholesome, enjoyable game. With, uh, you know their friends or family or whatever i think that the the barrier to entry is incredibly low but the skill ceiling is very high and i feel like it's just the, the perfect pokemon experience really and you, you kind of see that you know the themes in the first half kind of loop around as well you know when we think about some of the biggest tournaments in gym leader challenge I, often the full grip 1ks but also some of these online tournaments the people who are winning those are the people who have really invested themselves into to being good at this format and to practicing the strategies and understanding the ins and outs of their decks. Um, it's really cool to see. And I've, I've always been really impressed repeatedly as we, we see these, like these tweets and these Facebook posts of people playing gym leader challenge, like literally across the world. You know, I think that's so cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredible. And I think it's just because the Pokemon trading card game at its core is really fun. And yeah, I mean, like I helped popularize this way to play, but I don't really think of it like, you know, 
don't really think of it like I created it or it's like it's my child or anything. It's just like this to me is, and, and I think that this is something Trainer Chip said, but it's like it's how the Pokemon trading card game is supposed to be. I mean, you strip away all the like, you know, all the, like the marketing gimmicks. Basically, you take away all the marketing gimmicks <laughs> of like we need to sell cards, we need the most powerful thing to exist, right? Which are basically all the you know the V Pokemon, the GXs, the EXs, all the stuff that's supposed to sell booster boxes, right? You take all that stuff away, and there's actually the game designers are clearly very passionate about game design because there's a lot of really cool Pokemon that just can't see play in standard format. So you ask yourself, like, what were these Pokemon designed for? (laughs) You know, like some game designer created these for what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. And it's like, finally, there's something that they can do, you know? Finally, and I think it's important to have a format that, like, like this where uh, the cards are cheap, uh, the decks are easy to get into, and something else that I really love about it is that the decks evolve a little bit slower than they do in standard format. So you could realistically build a grass-type Gym Leader Challenge deck this year, not play for a year, come back next year, and you've still got a good deck. Right? Yeah. It's, it's more of an eternal format than any other format that's ever existed in the Pokemon TCG. And because of the singleton nature of it, the games are all very different. Every time you open a hand with Gym Leader Challenge, there's a possibility that you've never seen that hand before and that you might not ever see that hand again. (laughs) And you're going to have that experience multiple times throughout a game because of the fact that your deck may have 50 to 55 different cards in it. Yeah, for real. Literally. <laughs> like, literally, yeah. So it's uh, it's been a joy to see people just enjoying the Pokemon trading card game in a different context. And I'm just really excited to be a part of it because I feel like it's something that the Pokemon trading card game was desperate, desperately missing. I agree. I've always thought for years that kind of the same thing that you were thinking or, like, clearly there's some amount of intent put into, like, these cards that we're just writing off as filler trash, you know, because they're they're not viable and standard. But clearly there is design intent behind these cards. Like, what is it for, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, look at Zarude from Chilling Rain, right? That's the card it's I was going to reference, too, actually. Like, I'm looking at it right now. Zarude from Chilling Rain is, like, a really well-designed basic Pokemon 130 hit points. It's pack call attack. Allows you to search for a grass Pokemon. Great for setting up your deck, right? And if you go second, it's your first turn. You can get three grass Pokemon, right? And then it's repeated whip attack does more damage for the amount of grass energy attached to it. It's just like a really solid setup Pokemon that like would very clearly never be able to be played in standard form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, what is the card for? And the answer is Gym Leader Challenge, right? Because the it's answer one is, of the best, yeah. The, it's one of the best grass-type attackers. And you know, a lot of players will ask, like, why, you know, why do I, why do I have to be limited to just one type of, right? Why can't I, why can't I combine strategies? Well, it's because that limitation allows for more cards to see play yeah. than that there would see play otherwise, or else every deck would just play... Uh, Octillery or Bibarel or every single deck would have a Shady Dealings Intellion in it, right? 
it's just uh you know having to really rely on your types uh advantages and disadvantages allow you to really hone in on the character of that type much like a gym leader would right <laughs> and that's part of the challenge and that's part of what makes it fun i would totally agree and i i think the limitations are an important element of the format you know for every for every game where you lose because you could only play one of or because you couldn't play the optimal you know support pokemon that's outside of your type or because you couldn't play your eevee um you know you have like 10 more games where you have like a dynamic interesting game state that is a completely unique game in of itself from many of the ones that you've played you know i think of standard format right now as being the best it's been in a really long time but even then like the game flows are often very similar from game to game. Uh, whereas Jimmy oh, yeah. Challenge, I never feel like I'm playing the same game twice. And I think that that replayability is something that I'll just keep people, you know, coming back. It's actually been Jim Leader Challenge has been like the dopest thing that I've I've ever made because I don't need to like I don't need to advertise for it hardly. I mean, at a certain point, it's like once you get enough people that have actually tried it, this format sells itself. It's yeah. so fun. Like, my goodness, it's it's so sick, honestly. And it's just like, it's cool. Now I can just be like, all right, you know, we've taught enough people how to play this way. And now they're just going to tell their friends because <laughs> it's it's the dopest way to play Pokemon cards. So, you know, and I, I truly believe that. Like, and I have, you know, a dozen Gym Leader Challenge decks built. And now when I'm kicking it with the homies, we'll, we'll just play Gym Leader Challenge. Like, I don't, you know, it, it used to be tough because in order to cube, which is like another fun way to play cards you got to get eight homies together but now just you and one homie play some gym leader challenge <laughs> honestly right. just kick back you know play a best of three might take an hour and a half maybe two hours <laughs> you know if you're playing at like a if you're play, playing at a casual pace and you're gonna feel like a you know a real sense of accomplishment, whether you win or, whether you win or lose, and that's something that's like really been, I think, uh, a key part of this format. Is like almost every game I lose in Gym Leader Challenge, I'm like, dang, what if I had done this one different thing with that one card on that one turn? <laughs> and it's those decision makings, uh, you know, those tough decisions that you have to make will keep you coming back because you want to learn more and really kind of try and navigate the deck perfectly. And navigating a gym leader challenge deck perfectly is a very difficult thing to do. I would totally agree. So I have to ask then a controversial question, Andrew. Okay. What is your favorite type to serve as the gym leader for? Ooh, that is a tough question. Well, I I have really enjoyed getting into all the different types uh, when. But it's funny because, like we were talking about earlier, Gym Leader Challenge is definitely a format that rewards loyalty and practice with a type. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, if you are, you know, and it's so fun because you kind of get this, like, you get this little rivalry going on amongst the different types and, and the players that really vibe with certain types over others, right? It's like rooting for a football team. It really is <laughs> yeah. like, it's like what, Pokemon would be like if it really existed, right? Where you're rooting for certain gym leaders and things like that, right? Uh, which is so funny because it's actually, I feel like gym leader challenge is actually more canonical than uh, 
than any other form of the Pokemon trading card game because it actually you have like uh, who has three Mew Gigantamax Mew on their team, right? Like nobody. <laughs> uh, but like you might have you know a Roserade, a Venusaur, and a Rillaboom and a Cherim. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's more canonical than actual Pokemon cards. And you root for your team. I really like that. It reminds me of what you know things would be like if people were going to actual stadiums and you know cheering for gym leaders and stuff. I started with fire, then I went to water. Water is like definitely one of my favorite types of all time. I really vibe with a water deck. We were talking earlier about the whole deluge thing. <laughs> oh yeah, you get to play Rain Dance Blastoise in that water deck, and it's glorious. Okay, I don't you think we'll ever quite get the deluge out of you. No, no, never. But I think I think that lightning is my favorite. And the reason why I think lightning is my favorite is because winning games with it is challenging, but it's very good. It's like a very good deck, but the wins all feel earned and none of them are just total blowouts. Like every Every matchup feels like a 50-50, which makes the Lightning deck, I think, my favorite deck to play. Because no matter what deck I'm playing against, I'm like, this is going to be a good game, right? Um, and uh, that's really what I'm looking for when I'm playing Gym Leader Challenge. I'm just looking to have some like good, thought-provoking games, some real head-scratchers. And Lightning has been the, the type that gives me the most amount of head-scratchers. So uh, <laughs> I've been playing it for months. And I still don't feel like I have it down pat. Like I'm still tweaking cards all the time. And like, maybe this card could fit in. Maybe this card could fit it. Cause cho choosing 60 cards is like impossible. So hard. Yeah. When you have all these different cards at your disposal. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's been really fun to continue tweaking the lightning deck um a recent revelation i had with lightning was that the electivire was like really good and original lightning lists were not playing this electivire it's just an electivire from rebel clash you know and it was just an overlooked card for a long time but he could do 180 damage <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty good that's numbers baby that's numbers doing numbers yeah <laughs> i love it so Last uh, last gym leader challenge question for you. What do you think is the most overlooked card in the gym leader challenge right now? Ooh, the most overlooked card. That's a really good question. Most overlooked card. Wow. I mean, there's so many really fun um, debates that happen in the gym leader challenge kind of uh, community, you know, is timer ball good or bad, right? <laughs> uh, that's just like a big one. Some players swear off ultra ball because they're like, I have to discard two cards and I don't want to do that because my deck is singleton, right? You have all these different, uh, all these different kind of philosophies in building your gym leader challenge deck. You know, should I play Bridget and Gloria in my deck? Or should I play one or neither, right? Uh, cards that help you to get your game kicked off. I think that as far as underrated cards go, I really like Town Map. Uh, I think Town Map is a card that's starting to make its way into like more of my decks. 
Um, it's a card that obviously you just flip over your prize cards. Incredibly good. And you can hand select whatever prize you want when you're navigating yeah, your game. But the thing about time map is like everybody knows town map is good. Everybody. But it's also an incredibly easy card to cut. Because <laughs> yeah, it's really easy to justify getting rid of it. You don't need it, right? <laughs> just don't prize bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, town map is a world champion. I'll have you know. It is. It is. So town map is a card that you kind of see in and out of a lot of decks, but I think it is very valuable in in many strategies. Another one, Cynthia and Caitlin. I feel like Cynthia and Caitlin's one of the best supporters in Gym Leader Challenge format. I agree. Uh, because it's not only a consistency card, but also a recovery card. It's a supporter card that allows you to guarantee that you're going to be drawing for the next two turns, so long as you have a draw supporter in your discard pile. And that ability to chain draw support is very good in a singleton format. Make sure that you just continue accessing your deck. So I like that card too. Excellent. I, I like both of those takes. And I, I like your reasoning behind them too. So now, have you played any Gym Leader Challenge, Ronnie? I've played an okay amount. I haven't super grinded it. Uh, it's hard for me because I can't really play with you on stream when you're most likely to play it. And I don't this live nearby. True. So we can't be grinding out the games with the homies <laughs> yes yes i'm looking forward to getting to play more gym leader challenge with you i feel like that we haven't had that experience yet but but i really enjoyed natalie and i played a lot the last time that i visited um i don't get i don't play a lot of cards with natalie like in general so i really enjoyed doing that yeah and she has really liked playing uh, gym leader challenge as well which has been uh something that has made me really happy that she likes playing with uh you know, with uh, with our friends and and things like that, it's got the Natalie stamp of approval. So, and that's huge. Me. We love it. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so, at this point, I just want to ask, you know, with all that we've talked about and all that we've said today, what is your parting nugget of wisdom for the tag team listeners? Ooh, parting nugget of wisdom. Parting nugget of wisdom would be practice. You gotta <laughs> practice. You want to get good? Keep practicing. And really anything. Yep. Keep practicing. That is definitely the key. If you care deeply about something, work towards it. And uh, and and practice is the best way to get there. Uh, and that's just been kind of the big thing, uh, the big theme in my life. With everything that I do, I started making videos when I was, you know, 15, 14, right? So, and now now it's what I do because I just love it, right? So, you know, work towards the things you're passionate about, practice, and uh, and that's the best way to see success with them, so. I don't think anybody I've ever met has embodied the grind set more than my friend Andrew Mahone. So take his word for it, folks. <laughs> I appreciate that, Riley. And Andrew, thank you so much for having me on the cast. Oh, this has been so fun. Absolutely, man. For our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with you, where can they find you? Well, glad you asked. I stream every weekday on twitch.tv slash tricky gym and then i also upload videos to tricky gym on youtube and you can find me and all of my bad opinions on twitter at enjoy friend e-n-j-o-i friend 
And if you're a fan of the cast, make sure to rate and review and follow us on social media. We're at Tag Team Pokemon at Twitter. My own Twitter is at Smiles at Riles. And our beloved co-host, Mr. David Okriwal, while he's taking care of his newborn baby, you can follow him for baby pics at Flex Daddy Righteous on Twitch and YouTube, as well as Real John Walter on Twitter. We thank you so much for listening to this awesome episode of Tag Team, and thank Andrew Mahone for joining us, and we'll catch you next week. Peace.